If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is an e-learning expert. Janet Stewart is one of Canada's most respective learning design professionals. She got into e-learning about 10 years ago before it was mainstream because she saw where the future would be. With more than 30 years of experience in the training industry, her organization, We Love Learning, offers high standards of innovation and interactivity. They work with clients who want to take their internal education programs and move them into the future. She's an active member of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers and the Learning Guild. Janet, as a speaker colleague, I absolutely welcome you, and it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Thank you so much, Susan. E-learning, this is the future. But before we sort of delve into that, I think it'd be important for us to really fully understand what exactly is e-learning? Actually, if I may, Susan, I wouldn't say it's the future. The future is here. It was actually here prior to this spring and the events that have gone on in the last couple of months. But e-learning is here. And one of the things that people really struggle with is what is the different terminology mean? So some people refer to it as e-learning. Others will talk about it as online learning. I even sometimes say digital learning. They're all bits and pieces of the same thing, and it doesn't really matter. It's all done in an online environment of some sort. Where we do start to separate pieces out is the different types of online learning solutions that you might apply given a certain set of circumstances and who the learners are and how they're likely to consume that training. Give us an idea of the different types that might exist. We generally, in the e-learning space, we have a four-level kind of chart, if you can picture that in your mind. At the bottom of that chart, and it's a hierarchy, if you will, in terms of complexity and learner retention rates, but also time and cost to produce. So at the bottom of that food chain, we have what's called live online instructor-led training. And I know just speaking recently in the last couple of months to a lot of learning professionals, speaker professionals, they talk about live events as if they really mean in-person events. And I'm always correcting people saying, no, no, no. What do you mean? Is it going to be recorded? No, no, no. We're just going to be online. I said, well, we're still going to be there live. We've got to get our terminology sorted out. But live online instructor-led training is where you would meet up with a bunch of people on Zoom and there is an instructor or a presenter giving a presentation or leading a training session of some sort. But within that layer on this chart in your mind, think about going across the page. And as you go across the page, the complexity goes up as well. So does learner retention and so does time and cost to produce. 
So in the bottom left corner of that imaginary chart, you would have what I call death by PowerPoint. You've probably all been subjected to those types of presentations online where someone has a PowerPoint slide deck, they get on Zoom, they flip on their camera or they don't sometimes, and then they proceed to talk at people. And it's a very, very passive style of e-learning. On the upside, it's quick and dirty. You can create that in pretty much the same time it would cost you to create uh, an in-person training session. You've got your PowerPoint deck, you've got your notes, away you go. But because it's so passive, the learner retention rates are extraordinarily low. As you move across the page, think about how you add elements of interactivity, polling, either within the Zoom tool, if that's what you happen to be using, or through other tools that are app-based on your phone like Kahoot, including videos, visually engaging learner handout that's sent in advance to the learner, perhaps using the breakout rooms for small group activities or exercises, perhaps having QR codes or adventures that people have to go on either on their own or in a small group. All of these things help to take it away from just the screen. They move it past being a passive activity and make the learner actually a part of something that's going on, as opposed to just sitting at the sideline watching something that's going on. That takes more thought, right? It takes more thought and more time to create all of those bits and pieces, all of those interactions, but it does result in higher learner retention rates. All of that is a spectrum just at that one layer, the live online instructor-led training. And that's a really important point. E-learning is a spectrum of choices that you make depending on who your learner is, what the learning objective is, and how you expect them to consume the training. (laughs) Then we get into the whole other ballgame, which is self-directed or opt-in training that a person would do when the instructor and the learner are not there at the same time. And that's a whole other kit and caboodle. That's a lot to take in. Wow. But it does give you that sense of, as you rightly said, how many of us have been exposed to this death by PowerPoint. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, if I see another slide that is just crammed full of text, at, I don't know, 10, 12 point <laughs> font that is just like impossible to read and to even take in. It's like, oh, and you're right, the mind just absolutely switches off. But yeah, there are those activities, the polling, the breakout rooms. I'm not familiar with the Kahoot, but I'm going to check into that one. Yeah, there are lots of, lots of apps out there that you can use, and you can use QR codes to open up a page or open up something on a website if you've preloaded it. I guess if, if I had to say one thing that you would take from all of that and maybe this entire interview is be better than that. Don't settle for PowerPoint and a talking head. Be better than that. No matter what you do in the e-learning space, aspire to be better than that. The really important thing is to be creative about how you involve your learners, how you take them past the screen, how you reach into their living room or their office with them and make them feel like they're actually part of something as opposed to a bystander. Oh my goodness. It's like that got right to me. It was like, (laughs) absolutely. It's like you want to feel that connection, but that all takes time to prepare. And I think you, you rightly said that, I mean, PowerPoint's quick and easy. If I want to put something together, I mean, 
I did it last week for a breakout group that I have. And I was like, oh, I want to teach them something. I just put a PowerPoint presentation together. But then I said, okay, we're going to take the three pieces that we learned and go into a breakout room and work on it for yourself so that they came away with something concrete after, I don't know, half an hour of just interacting. Yeah. Excellent. I would say you need to be willing to learn. You know, you need to be an insatiable learner in order to work in this space. There's always a new technology to learn. And if you have a sense of wonder and, mm, I don't know, amazement and fun and adventure, then opening up a new software and figuring out what it can do for you is exciting rather than stressful. I'll remember that next time. I'm very good at purchasing things, but knowing how to use them, that's a whole other ball game. That's so true. (laughs) Let's focus on our nonfiction authors and they have a book and they want to do more than just selling the book. Say they want to turn some of the messages in there, the learnings in there into a learning program, how would they even go about that? Well, I think the first thing they have to decide is do they want to play in that live space, the live online space, or do they want to play in the self-directed opt-in in the middle of the night if that's what suits you kind of space? If you're working in the self-directed space, you need to be using certain types of softwares or certain platforms And you do need to really level up your skills in order to play in that space. That is the main space that we play in. We design for our clients. We'll take their proprietary information. You know, every organization has policies, procedures, products that they need to train people on, whether those are employees or customers. And they can't go and buy that type of training just easily in the marketplace because it's very specific to them. So we'll take that content and we'll turn it into self-directed online courses that their employees or their customers can access at any time from anywhere. But for an author, there are lots of websites out there. There are, I think, 860 platforms that you can opt into to build your own courses. And it takes a bit of design talent, let's say, in order to create interaction. I've seen many courses that are just really a talking head, a whole bunch of videos piled together. Well, that's a YouTube channel. You know, that's not really a course. The interaction is the part that's really, really important. But I think it's fairly easy to start playing in the live online space. And you can even record that. And then that people can watch those recordings afterwards if they're not able to be there at the right time. So they could have a session that maybe comes with the book or it's an add-on to the book or it's bundled together with the book or however you want to market that. But they could have a live online presentation where people could meet the author, ask questions. Maybe you offer some additional information that's not in the book. Maybe there's a series of workshops that launch where the book is almost like a prerequisite, if you will. And then once you've read the book, you can opt into these workshops and get more. You could also lead discussion forums. And those can be helpful because you don't necessarily have to be there at the same time. You've probably seen closed Facebook groups where a person has a particular topic that they sell or that they're an expert in, 
And then there's an, a closed Facebook group where everyone who has participated in that book or that course or something to do with them can be an, a member of that group. And then there's all kinds of discussions that can go on in there. You can have a digital book club. If you had e-versions of your book, everybody could read it and get together. Again, it could be self-directed. It could be certain day of the month, you know, the second Tuesday evening of every month, or it could be completely digitally led in that you're not there at the same time. One of my favorite ones though, I do this often, is I will bring a presentation or a book, in this case, to life by embedding QR or Zapper codes into the book. And I actually have later on, if you want, your readers can opt in to receive a sample of what that looks like. So I have a book called E-Learning 101, and it is ordinarily a printed journal book that I will hand out at conferences. As you flip through the book, there's these zapper codes in there. And what I did is I preloaded these zapper codes with all kinds of different things. So sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's an infographic, sometimes it's a different type of document. It can be any digital asset that you create and you embed it in the Zapper code. And when the person gets to that page, they whip out their cell phone, they scan the Zapper code, and poof, the book comes to life. Literally, the pages jump out at you. Wow, that sounds fascinating. And yes, I'm more than happy to put that in the show notes because I think that's a real gift. Thank you. Zapper codes, I've not heard that expression before. Is that like a QR code? Talk to us about Zapper. Yeah, it, it is like a QR code in that it, it's, you know, it's a little bit different. QR codes tend to be square, Zapper codes are circular. But the thing that's really different between the two of them, let's start with a QR code and what it does. It sends you somewhere. When you zap a QR code, and, and the great thing about QR codes these days is that many of the new phones, well, maybe all of the new phones, have a QR reader built right into the camera. So you don't even have to have a QR reader app anymore. You just open up your camera and it will read the QR code. And then it sends you somewhere. So it sends you to a website. But a Zapper code takes it one step further. And you can embed, they use what's called augmented reality. Let's say I wanted to show you a video. I'm flipping through the book and you get to a certain page and I want to now give you like a little mini workshop right within the book, live as if, well, not really live, but as if I'm live. And I get to that page, if I hit a QR code, I might maybe go to your YouTube channel and then have to watch that video, or I might be sent to a certain web page and have to watch that video. So it's an extra couple of clicks, a little bit more work involved. Whereas if I use a Zapper code, it's augmented reality. So what happens is there's this layering effect that happens on your phone. And now that video plays right there on your phone on top of whatever else you might be looking at. So you could even theoretically, if there's something in the book that's really important that they can see at the same time that they're watching the video, because of that layering effect with augmented reality, they could actually be looking at both things at the same time. It could be that you record something separate and then turn it into this Zapper code you uploaded, I'm sure, to a site and then get a, a code that you embed. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but it's also really simple. <laughs> so yes, I would say in this case, if you're flipping through a book and you'll see in the sample that I'll share with everyone that 
they're micro videos. So there's this thing called micro learning, and there's a whole big debate in our industry about what is micro, you know, how short is micro. Description I can give you is that micro is when you can't go any smaller. So if you were a language instructor, let's say, and you wanted to teach different parts of language, you might break it down into what is a noun, what is a pronoun, what is a verb, what is an adverb? Can you get any smaller than that, right? And so that's what micro training is. It would be very, very laser focused. If I went to YouTube because my dishwasher was leaking, I don't want to have to watch a full hour long something on dishwashers. I want to be able to go right to my dishwashers leaking from the front or from the back or from the side and make and model even and find it. So it's very, very laser focused. That's what micro training is all about. It's short and it focuses on one thing. So if you had your book and you're in a particular topic or particular uh, chapter of the book, it would make sense that you might have a one minute video that you then have people access as they're reading through the book. If somebody's an insatiable reader, they're going to read the book no matter what. But I think in a lot of cases, I've heard and I've been guilty of it, you buy a book and you start out with great intentions and then at some point you kind of fall off and you don't get through the whole thing. I think it's an interesting way to entice others who maybe have different learning styles and are not as savvy readers to keep on going through the book because there's more to it than just words on a page. And I don't mean to minimize the words on a page. They're extraordinarily important, but it's just another way to get to your learner, another way to engage. It's another, just like I said, with the live online training, you want to find ways to get past a death by PowerPoint presentation and sort of reach through the screen to feel like, make the learner feel like they're a part of something. It's the same kind of thing. If you can take the words on the page and somehow bring them alive, that's really, really cool. Oh, that's incredible. And help me with the whole idea, the self-directed learning that I've been guilty of this so many times that I purchase a course, I have every intention, just like you mentioned about the book, which by the way, I'm the same way, every intention started and then somehow get sidetracked and onto something else. And the same thing can happen with a course. Now, are there special techniques? I'm assuming that the Zappa technique is one potentially that will keep me going in this self-directed course so that I actually complete it because I think that's a big issue with self-directed learning. Would you agree? Yeah, I tend to use Zapper codes more for the micro learning out in the field. I've embedded training micro learning right onto a drone, for example, so that the learner could access that training while they're literally out in a field trying to calibrate a drone. It's a really good mobile solution. If we're talking about self-directed training and courses, you know, so this is where we get into what is e-learning and courses is one type of e-learning. So let's put it in the context of something that's maybe a 15-minute experience or an hour-long experience or many experiences bundled together in some sort of certificate type of program that you make up. It doesn't have to, when I say certificate, it doesn't have to be, you know, a college or university. It can just be my professional certificate that I'm giving out. But I bundled bundled pieces together. And I think it is hard. You know, we see drop-off rates, particularly if the learning is not particularly engaging. 
if it's one video after another. Video is great. I love video. It's wonderful use, but not if that's the only thing. You know, variety is so important to keep a learner engaged. It's great. You know, I binge watch Netflix too. I get hooked on um, one of these limited series shows and I just can't wait for the next episode. We don't generally have these huge production companies to create our videos, so I certainly don't. And so I have to lean on other tools and techniques in order to engage learners. And in the e-learning space, there's this thing called gamification. We take a lot of ideas and uh, tap into the psychology of curiosity of the learner through gamification. And it, it just means making it interesting, you know, really challenge yourself to use flip cards and sorting games and characters and include quizzing and scenarios and stories. Make it interesting. If you were to deliver this content in an in-person classroom environment, and would you get up at the front of the room and just talk at them with your PowerPoint slides? No. Or would you just stand there and play a bunch of videos? No. I would hope you would have exercises. You would have them working in small groups. You would have them coming up with situations, coming up with questions, answering questions, having discussions. You would have all kinds of different techniques that you would use. And you need to do the same thing in an online environment. But it's tricky because you don't have other people to play with. If you had 20 people in a classroom, you could break them into four small groups of five and give them a task and they would have each other to talk to. And that's still true. If you're doing a live online instructor-led class, you can do that. But if you're doing something that's self-directed, the other learners aren't there at the same time. So you have to kind of reframe everything that you might have done in an in-person setting and say, okay, I'd like you to take the next few minutes to think about a situation when, and you might even have your book or a workbook or something that they have downloaded ahead of time and they can refer to. You would say, stop right here at this point in the course and turn to page 10 of the book and go through that section and then come back and watch this video or then come back and do this sorting game. It's about finding interesting ways to move through the content and engaging the learner. Excellent. Yes. I mean, just saying that, and I'm familiar with gamification as a concept, but I've never looked into it in detail. So I think that's definitely something to look at. I'm sure there are all sorts of exciting tools out there. Janet, our listeners love learning mistakes. Give us the biggest mistake you find that people make when they're in this space? I think they aim too low. They settle. They settle for a very passive approach that they wouldn't do to people in an in-person environment. I know I was speaking with somebody a few months ago, and I felt really badly after the conversation because the person had put a whole bunch of time and energy and money into creating a lot of videos. And that was the course. And they were very, very proud of it. And I felt badly that I had to say, okay, well, it's a YouTube channel. It's not really a course. What links all of those videos together? It doesn't mean you can't use all those great videos you created, but how do you link them together? How does the learner move from one to the next? And how do you avoid learner fatigue? It's just like anything, too much of a good thing, it, it becomes bad at some point. And so if it's, even if they're great videos with beautiful production and great lighting and sound, it's still too many videos, too many of the same thing. 
So think about how you can get, and even in the simplest way of doing this, let's say you built a course of sorts on a WordPress page on your website. And it's just a really long page. The person's going to scroll through and do all these different activities. Might be on a hidden page. You know, you charge them for the course. So let's say it's on a hidden page. You have to have some sort of introduction and then have them do something. And then some sort of instruction of some sort and then do something else. Now, to do something else could be watch a video, but it could also be click on this link and now go do this quiz using Kahoot or something like that. It could be go and look at this website over here and review it and then come back and fill in this form, you know, a fillable PDF form that they have to open up and then they can save on their computer and use in advance. Even just having some sort of action register that they go back to periodically as they go through these different experiences that you set up for them. Okay, go back to your action register, open it up, fill in the next question. Anything to get them busy doing different things so it's not just the same thing over and over again. I think that's where people really fall off is when it just becomes too repetitive and not that interesting. And I don't mean because the content isn't interesting. There's tons of really interesting stuff out there, but sometimes it is hard. I find it myself. It's sometimes just really hard to stay in the game. Yeah, that presentation of what's really interesting. I love the the phrase learner fatigue. I can just see that and I feel that when you say it. Janet, I know that our listeners would want to know how they could get in touch with you because this stuff is so juicy. <laughs> I'm sure they'll want more and how they can get hold of this uh, flipbook. Well, I would invite them to go to welovelearning.ca. If they want to reach out to me personally, my email is janet at welovelearning.ca. And from my main homepage, they can actually access uh, a copy of the eLearning 101 flipbook if they'd like to learn more. They can download it right away. And uh, they can also sign up for, I publish a a weekly e-newsletter called e-learning made simple. So I try to keep it simple and focused on one thing at a time so that they can uh, gradually learn over a period of time, all of the skills that we need to be able to pick up to really understand the e-learning space and understand some of the lingo. I love it. I'm going to sign up for that because that's just right up my street, e-learning made simple. Janet, if you were to leave our listeners with a golden nugget, what would that be? Aspire to be better than most. Most people take the easy route. They do the death by PowerPoint or they do something that's very, very passive. You can be better. It just takes a bit of time and ingenuity and creativity, but it is absolutely worth it. Oh, yes. I mean, you've given me a whole different love for this and I'm going to rethink how I approach my learning or my teaching of, you know, my my information. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparks some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. 
The time is now to take action and finally build your book-selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded, so visit bookmarketingmentors.com and we'll see you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.